Well, today we are continuing on in our sermon series. It's complicated, and uh, it's subtitled Navigating the Relationships of Life. And to this point, we've looked at marriage, and we've looked at parenting, both of which can be extremely complicated relationships that we're in. And today we're moving on to this topic of money, which of course is an object, not a person that we have a relationship with, but we most definitely have a relationship with our resources, with our finances. And there's no doubt but that this whole issue of money can be a very complicated one, as we have just heard described for us. The question is why? And it seems as we just get started with this, there are definitely a few reasons that we can point to as to why money can be so complicated. And one of those reasons is because it's personal. We all have our own independent view of money. We have our own perspective on what it is and what it's to do for us and how we're to use it. And that oftentimes is different from how somebody else would see it, or it almost always is different from how somebody else would see it and maybe the advice and the direction that they would give to us and give for us. And a lot of times, again, as we've just heard from Josh and Katie, this comes from our upbringing. It's just simply something that we bring into relationships. It's something that we bring to the table ourselves because it's very personal. When I was growing up and our family would go on a very long road trip, it wasn't unusual that we would pull the camper behind us so that we could stay there and save the money on hotel rooms. Carolyn, when she would travel with her family when she was younger, they would stay in hotel rooms like other sane people would do. But we brought different expectations into it, which tends to complicate things because it's personal. Also, it can get complicated because it's emotional. The fact of the matter is that money actually impacts the way that we feel. Just the way that we feel and the way that we process our own emotion is impacted by money. If you've ever paid off a, a car, you've written that very last check, And a check for those of you who are under 30 is this little slip of paper that you would write like numbers and words on and then you'd hand it to people in payment for something. But if you've paid off a car in any way, you know that there's this sort of emotional kick that comes with it of being done with that payment. Or maybe you've gone out and you've bought a brand new nice 65-inch television and you brought it home and you've set it up so that you could watch the Steelers stink up the first two games. I remember not all that long ago going out and buying a brand new pair of wireless headphones to use while I was running and the the joy that came with going home and getting them out of the box and setting them up and getting ready for use and then putting them into use. The fact is that money can actually provide for us an emotional kick in what it's able to do for us. And it gets complicated because we think of how it is that we want to use it and how we, how we bring that together with what we have. And there's just this emotional component to it. Beyond that, also, it can be complicated because it's defining. It can be defining and defining. Let's face it. Our culture tells us that we should think something different about ourselves if we have a lot over against if we have a little. It can define us, and in a few different areas, it seems to me. One of those areas is in relationship to significance. It can define how we view ourselves and our own significance. The value that we place in ourselves can be changed based on the amount that we have. This can also be seen in the area of satisfaction. Money, oftentimes, the amount that we have in the bank 
impacts us in terms of the happiness that we're feeling or the contentment that we're feeling. And we also see this come to bear when it comes to the area of security. We look to the amount that we have in the bank to provide for us security or to lead us to a place where we find ourselves resting in where we are or anxious about where we are on the flip side. You've got all these different things coming together in that regard. Now, the reason that these three S's we've just looked at make money so complicated is because, let's face it, they do have the power to deliver at least on some level. At least on some level, they do. And so it sucks you in. And the more you buy, then the more you have to keep fueling that mindset by accumulating more money or accumulating more stuff. So we work harder and we work longer so that we can keep it growing and keep it going. But none of us can sustain that forever. And pretty soon, that treadmill, treadmill that we're on to just keep it all going, we start to realize that something's going to have to change. But, that, but to change means that I'm going to have to let go of that very thing that's been defining me. And so it complicates it. It makes me confused. You know, it's interesting that we're not the first people to deal with this issue, not the first ones to get sucked in on this, to one individual who was finding their significance in the money that they had. A very wise person said this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That person, of course, was Jesus. To someone else who thought that money was the answer to find satisfaction, Finding satisfaction. The Bible says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And to someone else who thought that money was the answer to finding security in life, the Bible says, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That wisdom there that we're looking at, we've just seen in those three contexts, has been proven true time and time again. But it occurs to me that this is something that we just have to learn for ourselves. As much as we've heard it taught on, as much as we have, have seen it in the Scriptures, as much as we've seen it played out in people's lives, it's just one of those things that tends to be something that we just need to experience for ourselves. It's not that handling money is inherently complicated, like we're talking about today, it's not that it's inherently complicated. It's that we make it complicated based on what it is we ascribe to it, the value we ascribe to it, or the simplicity we take out of it by dismissing these simple truths that we're considering today. See, the bottom line is that we don't have a money problem. We have a trust problem. That's where it really boils down to, and we're going to see that today. We insist in trusting in ourselves and our own wisdom, and when that's not in step with the way that God would have us to engage with our resources, then we find ourselves complicated, or we find the circumstance complicated, because we've got competing priorities that we're trying to somehow blend together, and they tend not to blend together. And so we get confused. Should I do this? Should I do that? And it gets complicated when it really doesn't have to be as complicated as what we make it. So what I want want to do in the time that we have remaining today is I want to take a look at some other things, some other wisdom that God has given to us on this topic of our resources and our money so that we might take and apply what his wisdom is because I am 100% convinced that if we can do so, then we can simplify this area of our lives substantially. So in your worship program today, there are 
there, there's an outline, and you can go ahead and fill in some of these blanks if that would be helpful to you as we make our way along and hang on to this and, and refer back to it. The first essential when it comes to your money is to know what you have. For some of us, our situation financially is complicated because we just don't understand where we are. We don't know what we have. You probably know, well, there's a little bit tucked away in a savings account over there, and and maybe I've got something in an IRA somewhere, and hopefully Social Security will still be there when I get to retirement, and then that'll kick in a little something for me at that stage. But you still don't know completely where you stand in that regard. Or maybe every couple of weeks when your paycheck arrives in your checking account and, it, and you see that boost, that looks awesome, but you're not really all that clear on where all of that is going. And so you still end up at this spot where you don't know where you stand. And I get that because I understand that sometimes it's easier to ignore what we have or what we don't have instead of just face the cold, hard facts and realities head on. And so we allow ourselves just to sort of live in this fog and not get a complete handle on it because we don't really like what we see when we go there. And we all have this tendency when we don't like what something is that we avoid it. And so some of us are doing that when it comes down to our finances. And while that approach might provide a little bit of temporary relief, at least for a moment, as you ignore what you have or what you don't have, it just cannot last. When it comes to finances, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Knowledge is bliss because you can't act on what you don't know, which means as long as you put off getting a handle on what it is exactly that you have, you are going to continue to perpetuate complication in your finances. We're going to take a look at a lot of different Proverbs, the wisdom that comes to us from the Proverbs today. And in Proverbs 27, it advises this, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, most people were farmers or they were shepherds, and so their assets were tied up in flocks and herds. And he's saying here, make sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Make sure you know what it is that you have. That's what he's calling them to do. Why is he doing that? Because as that verse goes on, it says, because things are going to change. Your circumstances are going to change. Your bills are going to change. The unexpected expenses that come up in your life are going to be present. You don't know when they're going to come. You don't know in what uh, amount they're going to come. Your income is going to change also along the way. And if we're not staying on top of it, we're going to be confused and we're not going to know when is it okay for me to go ahead and make that expenditure, make that purchase, or to go on that vacation, or to say, no, for now, I'm just going to have to hold back. We won't know. And this whole problem is really complicated substantially today because of easy credit. And when these two things come together, it can really be disastrous for us. When what comes together is I, I don't exactly really know where I am, but it's very easy to go ahead and use my credit cards, that can be disastrous. And it has been for many people. Do you know that the average credit card debt of an American today is $5,700? This is this dynamic that we're talking about coming together, this easy spending without being careful to understand exactly where we are, and it just continues to get worse. Now, if you hear that number that the average American has a credit card debt of $5,700 and it makes you feel good because yours is only $3,500, you're missing the point, all right? You're missing the point. 
This is a real issue. And it's got to start with understanding exactly where we are and being willing to open up our eyes and say, I know where I am and I'm going to make wise decisions based on where exactly I am. And that's what it allows you to do is to make discerning choices, informed choices about how to apply your resources. So know what you have. The second key here is related very much to that, and that is plan where it goes. This, of course, is the principle of budgeting, which some of you were hoping that I would not bring up, but I did. It's important because I believe that this can take the complication out of your finances because it's just being intentional about knowing where your money is going. In Proverbs chapter 21, it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Keyword there is plans. If you're going to decomplicate or uncomplicate your money, you just need to have a plan for where you're going to spend it and how you're going to use it. The average American spends six hours a week shopping. And I know some of you are above average people. Now, is there anything wrong with going shopping even for six hours? Well, not if you don't invite me along. Um, but uh, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with going shopping as long as we know what it is that we have as resources to spend and that we keep within what it is that we have. Now, look back at Proverbs 21.5 again. Notice the second half of this verse. It says that haste leads to poverty. It's talking there about impulse buying. I see it. I want it. I got to have it. I buy it right? Have you ever been in that situation? Of course, we all have been. Virtually every advertisement and every commercial and every merchandising tool is out there to get you to impulse buy. This has come all the way down even into our food. They display food so beautifully. It looks so awesome that we just have to have it, and so we go and we buy it, like this Whopper. It looks delicious, doesn't it? You just want to have that. But have you ever had a fast food burger that actually looked like the advertisement. No, you have never had that. When you finally get it handed over to you in your hands, it looks more like this. Right? I am not lying, but the whole ad piece is just to try to get us to impulse buy based on how wonderful things look. And that's in all sorts of different areas. This has become such a problem that there are support groups that are out there today like Debtors Anonymous and Shopper Stoppers for people who have difficulty stopping shopping or, or not overextending themselves in this regard. And they've got a lot of cool little strategies that you can take and you can apply. One woman says that what she does is she takes her credit cards and she puts them in a bowl of water and puts it in the freezer. That way, whenever she wants to go and spend, she has to stop and think while the cards are thawing out. Now, if you, in the 10 seconds since I mentioned that, have thought, well, I could get to it faster just by running it under hot water, you've got a problem, all right? I've got the same problem because that's exactly the first thing that I thought also. Proverbs says we need to have a plan. We need a budget. A budget is simply telling your money where it's to go instead of allowing it to go wherever it wants to go. That's all that a budget is about. It doesn't have to be complicated to run the budget. It doesn't have to be time-consuming. It doesn't even have to say to you, you can't have those things that you want to have. 
It's just saying I'm going to be intentional about where my money is going to go. Look, if you want to get control of this, if you want to reduce impulse spending, then you've got to nip it in the bud. Jit. Explain that to your neighbor, if you would, please. Another key to reduce the complication is to save to create opportunity. Many of us struggle in this area also. We might blame it on, well, our income is just too small, and so I don't have any money to really save and to put aside. But really, when it boils right down to it, what we're talking about here is just a matter of establishing priorities. Proverbs 13 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers more, little by little, makes it grow. It's talking about savings. Part of the budgeting process is is establishing long-term goals that we want to accomplish, that we simply have to begin to accumulate a little by a little by a little in order to get ourselves to the place where we can accomplish that goal. A lot of people think, no, savings is just drudgery. I don't see it that way. Savings is not drudgery. It is opening the door to opportunity for the future. That's what it is, and it's very important because there are a variety of things that are going to take time that are very important for your future that you're going to be very, very happy that you saved for. You're going to be extremely satisfied when that time comes, and you can actually take and apply those resources to that purpose because you have them. You will not regret that. There are so many important things that we need to press for. It might be getting into your first house which is awesome, but you need a little bit saved up to accomplish that. Or maybe it's, it's your children's college fund. Or maybe it's retirement. Or maybe it's trying to take a single trip across Pennsylvania on the toll road. You know, things you just got to save up for, right? All right, well, maybe with the exception of that last one, these things that we tend to save up for are what we might call legacy events, And at the end of your life, you're going to look back and it's the legacy events that you're going to remember, that you're going to celebrate, that you're going to rejoice in. But if we're all about impulse spending in the moment and we're not about saving for opportunities for the future, we're going to miss out on those things. They're not going to be there. There's any of a number of others. Maybe it's a dream vacation. Maybe it's some charity, some something that you want to support in, in an awesome way. Maybe it's early retirement so that you can have more times in, time in ministry and with the grandkids while your body is still holding up, while you're younger, any of those things. When you save, you're not stealing the fun out of today. You're creating opportunity for tomorrow, and you will not regret it. I promise you, you will not regret it, but we have to be intentional about it. Another key to making your finances less complicated is to learn to be content. This is a struggle for so many of us. So Proverbs says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. In other words, there are some things that are more important than accumulating more, like enjoying what you already have. Or maybe enjoying who you already have. Family and the like. There's some great examples just very, very recently of some pathway people who are making choices that are leading them to not take the promotion or to not go after the bigger salary because what would have come along with it would be 
keeping them away from family, keeping them away from other values and priorities that are even higher for them. And I applaud them for making those sorts of choices. That's what we're talking about here. Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That verse would suggest that we don't need to be going after just more and more and more in order to find our contentment, which is part of the trap that we so often fall into. Neither is it saying you can be content as long as you're in a certain category. Like, be content with what you have, unless, of course, you're a college student and you're paying more out than you're actually earning right now. Or be content with what you have unless you're in your first starter job and you haven't reached your full earning potential yet. It doesn't say that. It just says, be content with what you have. That's because contentment isn't an amount. It's an attitude. Contentment isn't tied to an amount, God tells us. It's tied to an attitude of heart. There's a myth out there that says, if you just had one more thing, then you could be satisfied. Then you could be happy. So we turn our attention to getting that one more thing and we run after it, thinking that this is my path to contentment. As soon as I get it, I will be satisfied. But you're not. It's a lie because there's always one more thing. There's always one more thing. So the very direction that you feel you're going to help yourself out is actually the thing that's taking you away from what God has called you to. So deceptive and that's why it's complicated. That's why it can be so confusing. This goes back to what we said at the beginning. We don't have a money problem. We have a trust problem. God tells us why we can rest in His plan. Look at the rest of this verse from Hebrews. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We can be content where we are because God's got us in His hands. God will care for us. God provides for us. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to pursue a better job? Does that mean that it's wrong to go after a higher income? I didn't say that. And this verse doesn't say that either. This verse is not about how much money you have. It's about how much your money has you. It's about where are you placing your significance and what's defining you and your satisfaction and your security. Where are you finding it? To what degree are you resting in the resources that you have to provide for you what God has promised that He will provide for you? Because the more that you lean into that which you have in terms of the resources, is the more it's like a pendulum. It's, it, you're swinging away from resting in God and what it is that He's providing for you. That's His concern. And as long as we can be in a place where the resources that we have don't define us, that they don't take us off in a direction that is always getting us working harder and working more and sacrificing the values that God calls us to in a greater way, the more that we can live in that balance and it does not need to complicate us, complicate our lives. But we can simplify them instead. One last essential is to live a generous life. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is talking about wealth to his young pastor friend Timothy. And he says to him, when you talk to other people about this, tell them this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. To be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He is saying that the key here to setting yourself up for the future is not to hoard. It's not to run after everything that you can possibly accumulate. The key is to be generous with your time and to give of your resources. That's what he says is the key. And he finishes that verse by saying, did you see it there? That that's how we truly take hold of life. That means that there is something that happens in us that there's a transformation that takes place in us when we are generous and when we give. And there is something that's happening. We are being conformed more and more and more to the image of Christ, to God's image, who himself is a giver. He's given of his own son. You see, when it comes right down to it, God doesn't need your money. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands going, I don't know what I'm ever going to do if Jeff doesn't give. That's not happening. It's not going on at all. God's purposes are not in danger if you're not generous, but your heart is. You can do whatever you want with your resources. You can keep them all to yourself if you want. Just understand that it's corroding your heart in the process. Because the way that we truly take hold of life, the way we truly align ourselves to where God would have us to be according to what his, he says is that we would be generous and willing to share. Proverbs agrees and tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Again, many in that day were farmers. And so their resources, their assets were all tied up in their crops. And this is saying, give of the first fruit. Give the first of what it is you harvest to God for his purposes, for service, for, for offerings, for generosity. This is an example of what you have probably heard talked about in the past, which is called a tithe. A tithe is just giving 10% of what God has given to you back to him for his purposes. God has chosen to place the resources that we have, his resources, into our hands, and then he invites us to give them back to him. And the question is why? I mean, why do it that way? Well, let me just give you at least a few different reasons why God has chosen to set things up in that fashion. The first of those is this, that he's asking us to demonstrate where our heart is. Can we agree that there's nothing harder to let go of than our money? And so he's saying, I'm giving you this opportunity to demonstrate where your heart is, to demonstrate the level of obedience you have to what it is that I'm calling you to do. So I'm giving you this as an opportunity for you to prove to yourself and to me the degree to which you trust me and desire to be obedient to me. The second is that it gets God's work done. God could fund the work of the ministry of Pathway Church in any of a number of ways. But he's chosen this way. He could, have cause, he could cause every week 20s and 100s to fall down from the ceiling and all we have to do is collect them up and put them in the offering bag. Could have been that, but that's not what he decided to do. He puts us in, it in our hands so that we might have the experience of participating in the work of the ministry and gain ownership in what is being done and just be faithful to what he's called us to do. And then the last of those things I wanted to highlight is that it brings a blessing to us when we're 
generous. Look at these verses we just read again. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Barns overflowing and vats brimming over. That sounds pretty spectacular. God says, Be obedient. Follow through on what I call you to do, and I will bless you in abundant ways. That's what the verse means. Now, some people ask, does it have to be 10%? The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. It could be 15%. It could be 20%. It could be 25%. But that's not what you're asking. If you're asking that question, you want to know, can it be less than 10%? Do I have to tithe off my gross income, or can I tithe off of my net income? Well, I understand those questions, but they're the wrong questions. You see, because God comes to us and he says, look, this is the way that I've established the world. I'm going to dump all of this into your lap, and I just want you to be faithful with returning 10% back into my purposes, to be generous with that which I have given you. says that's the plan. He could have made it 35%, could have made it 50, 75, could have done anything. says that's what it is. That's what the pattern was established in the Old Testament. The New suggests it even goes beyond that. But let's just take that as a starting point. He says that's what it means to be fully faithful to me and what I'm calling you to do. And if we respond in full faithfulness to the full call, I think that we can expect the full blessing to come back on us. We can also make a decision to do less than all of what it is that God has asked us to do. And I think, doesn't it just make sense that if we're doing less than fully following in obedience, that the the blessing that was returned would be less? Of course, God is the one in charge. He is the one in command. He can do what it is that He wants. But it seems to me that what the Scriptures teach us and what it just makes perfect practical common sense is that full blessing comes with full obedience. Now, I know that some of you might be thinking that even if I wanted to tithe, Pastor Jeff, I just can't do it. I mean, if you look at my bank account, if you look at my budget, which I do have established, you'll just see that the money isn't there. But it seems to me that with this, we just come back to that bottom line that we've been talking about all the way along, that it's not that we have a money problem, it's that we have a trust problem. Generosity toward God is a declaration that you trust God so much that you're willing to let go of the things that you've previously been relying on for your significance and your satisfaction and your security and putting your rest in Him and what it is that He's promised to do for you, telling us, as we've looked at already, that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us, that He will provide Carolyn and I made a commitment when we got married to tithe. That was just something that we were going to do. And in those days, believe me, we did not have it. I was still in seminary going through school, and she had just gotten out of college and was in her starter job. And we didn't have money to spare at all. What would have made perfect sense would be for us to have said, you know what, as soon as we get on our feet... As soon as we get enough to have a little bit of margin, then we'll go ahead and start tithing. 
but we'd had some good teaching we grew up under and some great models in our parents. And we just said, no, this is something we're called to from this moment, right where we are. And so we started, even though we didn't see financially how it even made sense. And I can tell you this, after almost 34 years of this, that you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. God provided in amazing ways and has continued to do so all the way down through the years to the point where we've gone beyond that now and said that God is calling us to something even deeper and greater. And still, I would tell you, you cannot outgive God. And there's nothing special about us. This is just God's plan. He says, do this. And we just said, okay. And he's poured out his blessing. And there's no reason to believe that it'll be any different for you. Look, God knows that money can be complicated. He understands that, and so he gives us principles in his word. He teaches more on this subject than any other subject that comes up. Love, more than that. Hope, more than that. Peace, joy, more than all that. Money, why? Because he knows it's complicated for us. And so he says, let me simplify it. And he gives us principle after principle after principle. And we've looked at them today. And if we'll just take them, and if we'll stop making it a money problem and understand it's a trust problem and push our way forward into trusting what it is that he calls us to do, you're going to experience his blessing. Many of you could come up here and give testimony to that very thing because you've done exactly that and you've had that exact same experience that I've had. If we're just willing to give it a try, and maybe that's where you are. It's like, I, I'm just not sure. Give it a try and just see for yourself. I'm so confident that God will come through on his promise that I can call you to do that without any fear that, he, that you're going to be the one exception. Give it a try and see what God might just do in following through on his promise and bringing abundant blessing into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is plain, that it is clear. We thank you that you know our circumstance. You know how challenging it can be with our resources, with our finances. We find such definition of who we are. They do define us. We find our significance and our satisfaction and our security. It just naturally runs in that direction. That's what our culture has taught us to do. And we've fallen into the trap which is an anti-biblical trap. You've told us something else. And you've taught it very plainly. Lord, I just pray that we'd be willing to take it and, and rest in it. To understand that our problem is not a money problem, it's a trust problem. And that we would get behind what it is that you've called us to do. And that we would be faithful to move forward. Lord, I thank you today that the promise you have given us in your word, if we'll just simply follow after it in obedience, we'll receive it. We'll experience it. Lord, thank you for the many people here you've already convinced in that direction who are already being so faithful to you. And for those of us who are still wrestling, we want to do the right thing. 
I just pray that you'd give us the courage to step forward in obedience to what you call us to do. And for it, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.